through our singing of songs, we teach and we admonish one another. We encourage one another and we challenge one another. The purpose of our singing, and that's true of the one that we've just sung, each step I take, you be with me. Well, it was that last stanza that we were singing that kind of stood out, if you will. I trust in God, no matter come what may, for life eternal is in his hand. He holds the key that opens the way that will lead me to that promised land. I trust in God, come no matter what. We're encouraging one another to do just that. To put our trust in God, to honestly believe that he is aware of what we face and the trials that we go through. We know it's true, but sometimes we tend to forget that within our life. Paul challenges us in the first letter to the Corinthians and in chapter 12. Down to verse 14 and following. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole was hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our, pres our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having give, given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schisms in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Where if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. It's been said that you have to be able to see the humor that God has. That in giving scriptures, if he chooses to illustrate the spiritual body in such a way, if you don't see the humor in there, you're missing something. If the body was an eye, just one eye, where would the body be? And you just try to picture a gigantic eyeball rolling down the sidewalk. I mean, if that was the body, 
what would that be? Trying to get us to see the need that we have and the responsibility that we have towards one another. And more than that as well, the responsibility that we have towards God and towards Christ, who has purchased this body with his own blood, that he is the savior of this body, which is the church, and he is the head of the body, which is the church. We have responsibilities. We have our thoughts and our attitudes, our words and our actions, individually, but also collectively, that they all work together for the glory of God. Ours is to, again, do what we sang in the song. Each step I take, he goes with us. Do we honestly believe that? We do need to believe that. That wherever we go and how we go, he is there with us. And that although we may not always see how the spiritual body functions as we may the physical body that we carry around with us every day, ours is trusting God that indeed is his body and he knows what to do with his body and he work, he's working his will out in the body. Ours is to trust him in that. We have a tendency as human beings to play the, game, the, the blame game, shifting the blame from us to someone else along the way. You know, the kids are good at that. We had a son who would strike out to his sister, and the only reason he struck out to his sister was because she looked at him. And that was sufficient grounds to strike out. We tend to shift the blame. It's not my fault or someone else's. Lowe brought out some of those blame games uh, in his lesson Wednesday night. Adam did what? Blame God. I mean, you think about that. You think of, I mean, again, if you don't see this interaction, one is if you don't see the love and the patience and the long-suffering that God has for his children that he's created in his own image, you're missing something. How long-suffering is he? Starts with Adam and Eve. You know, did you eat of that fruit? Well, this woman that you gave to me, Gave it to me to eat and I ate of it. Wow. God, it's your fault that I committed this sin. Rather than accepting the guilt for what one has done himself. Out of Genesis 3 and verse 12. But it's just that concept that we have. You see it with Aaron blaming the people. Another one that Lowell had mentioned in Exodus 20, 32 verses 21 through 24. I like the continuation there where Lois stopped at one, you know, well, Lord, you know the people. You know what type of temperament that they have. I mean, what did you expect? Or tell Moses that. But it goes down a little bit farther. I mean, and to, to, to hear Aaron's response. Well, the people gave me all this gold. I threw the gold into the fire. And out came this calf. 
This was the God that led us up out of the land of Egypt. And you're thinking, are you kidding? Is that a lot? Most times excuses that we give are not really too logical. Is that logical to even consider? I mean, who did he think Moses was to say, oh, okay, uh, I can understand that. But more than that, could God... And again, we see the long-suffering of God, bearing with his people, with the attitudes and the situations that when they arise, how they quickly shift the blame to someone else. Saul was one as well, and King Saul, and circumstances he faced with Samuel, 1 Samuel 12, yeah, 13, verses 8 through 14. I wear them, they're not, they're not fuzzy, but when I don't wear them, they, the figures are fuzzy. Uh, but if I wear them, then you're fuzzy when I have them on, so I'd rather look at your clear faces. Uh, it's a compromise, I guess. And it's interesting because I've got a Bible up here that it has 18-point font on it. And I can't read it. Put my glasses on, I can. I can kind of make it out, but it doesn't make out too well. That's a side note anyway. But Saul, King Saul, was told to wait for Samuel to come in seven days before he made a choice what was going to happen and offer the sacrifice. Seven days comes and goes, and Samuel hadn't shown up. The people are getting a little bit restless. Saul get concerned. And he decides, since Samuel hasn't come, he'd offer the sacrifice. About the time he's offering the sacrifice, Samuel shows up. (laughs) What have you done? He said, well, you you weren't here. And the people were getting restless, and they, I'm paraphrasing, and they were wanting to leave. And I love, again, his response. So I forced myself, some translations have it, I compelled myself to make the sacrifice. I knew it was wrong, but I had to force myself to do it. And then Samuel's response, Saul, you knew that wasn't right. God was willing to make you a kingdom that would last forever. But because you did this, you're going to lose your kingdom going to be taken away from you because you did not take each step with the Lord you chose to run ahead of him I see the circumstances I see things developing and they look like they're chaotic and people are going to scatter and I didn't know what to do so I just made a choice knowing that it was wrong to begin with and decided to do that We have individual responsibilities. Taking the responsibility for actions that we take. Pilate tried to claim being innocent in Matthew 27 and verse 24. I'm innocent of the blood of this man. He wasn't. This is what the people want. So I'll give in to them. The political pressure. Now, we have no king but Caesar. And if you don't do something, this, this Jesus will become king and you're going to lose your kingdom. You're going to lose your power. 
he'd lose it anyway. But simply again, saying that circumstances arise, and they always do, that demand a response. We've got to take an action. And again, that's why the song is appropriate. Each step I take, the Savior goes before me. And with his loving hand, he leads the way. You're saying that. Do you honestly believe it? He guides the way. He leads the way. Ours is trust in him. And again, contrary to 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, we are individuals that prefer to walk by sight and not by faith. Paul says we walk by faith and not by sight, but we like to walk by sight. So we see things, and it's, again, that reminder throughout the Scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, church history, our experiences in the, in, in the church, our trusting God of understanding God has always been with his people. He has never abandoned them, never forsaken them, never left them on their own. Circumstances may not be what we would prefer, and yet he still cares for them. And he works his will out. Again, verse 18 in the reading. God placed the members in the body just as it pleased him. You know, sometimes you go through the human body and you wonder why certain parts of the body were given. And what function do they perform? The medical field hasn't decided what parts of the body are necessary and what parts of the body are not necessary. What you can live with and what you cannot live with or live without. You know, and they keep changing about every 30, 40 years. You know, one time it didn't have any, uh, the appendix didn't have any function. And now they say, well, yes, it does. It has a purpose. And on and on it goes. We can't even figure out the human body that we have and run around with all the time, let alone try to figure out the spiritual body, of which God is in control of. And that's the beauty of it. And we know that by the life that we live. We know that God is in control. We've seen changes in our life individually. We've seen changes in our life collectively that remind us very plainly that it's God who is watching over his people. Because if you leave it up to his people, they can make a mess out of it. Adam and Eve did. Cain did. People in the days of Noah did. And on and on the list goes of those who have made a mess by not trusting God in their lives. And we cannot be excused or make excuses for what we've done or what we should have done along the way. Back in Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. When Jesus saw many of the, putting the, pro, the noun in there for the pronoun, but when Jesus saw many of the, the, Pharisees, the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming, 
to his baptism. He said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Cannot boast on who I'm the descendant of. I mentioned in times past before that I have a fellow preacher that uh, we went to school together and he is a fifth generation gospel preacher. But he also knows that in regards to salvation, that has no bearing on his salvation. His salvation is based upon what he does with the life that he's living and how he responds to the message that God has given. He has a good foundation, but he understands that's not the guarantee for entering into heaven. Well, look at my heritage. You live your life. You bring forth those fruits that are worthy of repentance. The tree bearing good fruit is going to live. The tree bearing bad fruit is going to be cut down. That's the individual. But again, we do have that tendency from time to time to want to make excuses. Or we like to, you hear a lot of people want to make excuses. Well, I didn't know. Ignorance. Anybody who works in law enforcement there tell you. Well, I didn't, didn't know that the speed limit went down. I didn't see the sign. Well, when did they put that stop sign up there? I haven't seen that before. Want to plead ignorance. Well, I didn't know there was a God. How many are going to try that one in the day of eternity? I didn't know there was a God. Romans 1, verses 18 through 32 takes that away. Creation tells you that there is a God. So there is no excuse. Paul tells those at Morris Hill in Athens in Acts 17, verses 30 and 31. The days of ignorance God had winked at, but now he, call, he commands all men everywhere to repent. There's coming a day when he would judge the thoughts of every man according to that one man Christ Jesus there is no excuse ignorance is not an excuse there's a learning process God works with that but in that learning process it's that growth that continues that, that needs to continue to take place as God works with us God takes us where we are but he never allows us to stay where we are we sing that song just as I am I come we can come just as we are and God will take us and we will repent of our sins confess him as the Lord and Savior obey him in baptism be raised to walk that new life he'll take us just as we are but we cannot remain 
as we are. One is we, we become a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's a new life. So we cannot remain the same. Just as children as they grow up. There are times when they like to stay where they're at. Until they reach that magical age called teenagers and then they think they're way beyond where they're at. And cannot wait to get out of the house. And then to find out that's not what they thought either. Well, you know, cannot remain where we are. Peter would tell those of his day in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. That we, are, we need to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are expected to grow. To use what we have and then more will be given. To, and then that, that will multiply as well. You have the talents, you use the talents and they will be multiplied along the way. But ignorance is no excuse. Neither is family an excuse for not doing what's right. There are those who tried that during the days of Jesus. In Luke 9, verse 57 through 62. Well, I've got some family problems. Let me take care of these first. And then I'll come follow you. These are really pressing. Or it may be business deals along the way. They had, Jesus gave a parable on that one. You know, I, I bought a field. Sight unseen, evidently. And I need to go check it out to see if I made a good deal on it. Please have me excused from serving you. Well, I bought some oxen and I need to try those out. Or I just married a wife and I need to be excused from that. Family is not an excuse for not serving God. And we try that at times. It's your responsibility as an individual and your commitment to God. You're going to be held accountable for what you've done, for what you have. The more you have, the more you'll be held accountable for. But you're going to be held accountable. There is a day of reckoning, and there is that day of judgment. Matthew 25, in the, in the judgment scene there, gives a clear indication of that. And again, take time to look at that. All of Matthew 25, but the latter part of it particularly. There comes a time at, in the judgment where he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And then he's going to tell the sheep why they're sheep. And he's going to tell the goats why they're goats. And as you read that parable, the sheep are sheep because of what they did when they were down here on the earth. And the goats were goats because of what they did not do while they were down here on the earth. The Hebrew writer expressed it this way in Hebrews 9, 27. The pointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. The judgment is not a time of saying God's going to weigh you on a scale and see how it balances out. The judgment is a day of indication for God. As it is in Matthew 25, it's showing why God is right in what he has done. 
There is no arguing. There is no plea bargaining. God is right in his judgment. He makes no mistakes. And those both in the judgment will have an understanding of what took place then. There is this day of reckoning. Paul reminds us of 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. That we will all give an account of ourselves to God. We will all give an account of ourselves to God. Individual responsibility. You've been given opportunities that others have not been given. Even within the congregation, you've been given opportunities that others have not been given. And each one's going to be judged by what they have been given. And there are no excuses. Again, it's not accepted in the physical realm, is it? Go wash the dishes. I don't know how. Well, you'll find out how. I mentioned before, the time it got down to us two younger ones, a lot of the dishes were shrunk down in size because a lot of them got broken in the process down through the years. They just, you know, they slip out of the hands and they fall in the break. So it's a good thing they, the older girls got older and then went and married. I tell them one this evening that, you know, that uh, growing up in San Diego, Four of my brother-in-laws are all Navy men, and they all came out of the South. One came out of Georgia, one came out of Tennessee, one came out of Arkansas, and one came out of Oklahoma. And they all went back to the South after they got married. But they, So everything shrunk and, as time went on. But again, so did all the, a lot of things in the house shrunk down in size as well. But simply, I mean, again, cannot say, well, I don't know how. You learn. How do you learn? By doing, watching, observing, but by doing. A lot of times you learn through the school of hard knocks. See, the school of hard knocks is one that gives you the final exam first and then you learn the lessons from it. Oh, this is why you don't do it that way. But you learn. It's a grown process. It's what it always is. You watch and you observe. You know, the younger ones, if they're smart, can learn from the older ones of what not to do. Know what happens when I did that and got in trouble for it. So you learn from, you just learn. That's a learning process. Trial and error, learning from watching and observing, learning by reading, learning by studying. Learning by, again, what we sum. Each step I take, the Savior goes with me. Do you understand that? Do you believe that? That each step you take, the Savior goes with you. He's guiding you. He's watching over you. We need to be reminded of that time and time again. He has not left us on our own. Yes, we get to learn some lessons sometimes the hard way, but he's never left us alone. 
It's our responsibility to do what is right, regardless of what anyone else does. And we need to understand that that's the case. Well, everybody's doing it. No, not everybody. Those who love God are going to do God's will. There are those who are willing to take that stand. And no one can make you do anything either right or wrong. That has to be your choice. You can always choose to do right, even if it means physical death. Like I said, you read Hebrews chapter 11. I love the first 35 verses, 34 and a half verses, because they're all positive. The latter part of verse 35 to the remainder of the chapter, that really paints another story. But what does it paint? It paints the story of men and women who love God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, and with all of their might. They were willing to follow him, even if that led to physical death, or things a lot worse than physical death. But they trusted God to be with them each step that they took along the way. And sometimes we really need to be reminded how plain God is in dealing with us. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, look at verses 11 and following. Deuteronomy chapter 30. For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us? that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. The word of God is very near. And you can read it, and you can understand it, and indeed you can do it. Drop down to verse 19 of the same chapter. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him. 
for he is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. Choose today life or death. It's your choice. But choose life that you may live. It's not only a good life here, but it's the good life here that leads into eternal life with God. But again, that has to be your choice. No one else can make it for you. You're going to be answerable for the choice yourself. What shall it be? How, you, how will you respond to what God has already given to you? How will you respond to what God has already blessed you with and what you understand from his word? You choose life or death. God will wait, but not forever. One day that patience, that love, that long-suffering will end. Until then, he patiently waits. We need to make a change in our life. We could assist you, we could help you in any way. Then indeed, we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.